This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon and welcome to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture. I'm Dashran Johan and alongside me in the studio is Julia Jacobs and Hezreel Ashraf. So it was uh, World Radio Day this past Saturday and in conjunction with that, we will be discussing the significance of this day on our, for our segment today as well as play clips from some of the shows we did in the past which centres around one of the sub-themes of World Radio Day 2021 which is highlighting radio services to our society you know, this can be natural disasters, socioeconomic crises, um, epidemics, and also fighting misinformation. That's right. And on that note, we've got a poll running on Twitter asking you, you know, what your fondest memories of listening to the radio are. Uh, do tell us. You can reply to that tweet or tweet us at BFM Radio. You can also WhatsApp. At, uh, you can also send us a WhatsApp message at 018-789-8899. Yes, but it was back in 2011 when the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, or UNESCO as we know it better, decided during its 36th conference that February the 13th will be dedicated to the radio and its importance in this ever-evolving world. And as we all know, radio is a medium that has entertained and informed for ages, even before TV sets and computers took over the world. That's right. In fact, if you ask people who grew up in the 60s, a lot of them will share fun stories of how their entire family would sit around the radio every night to listen to songs, the news, radio plays, just about anything really. And speaking of, the radio also used to be a big deal for sports fans. I remember the scene from the movie Ola Bola, which was also set in the 60s, where not just families, but entire neighbourhoods mm. would crowd around a tiny radio just to hear the commentary of football <laughs> matches. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, as time passed, though, and uh, technology advanced, right, uh, radio slowly um, started losing its popularity in many ways. The emergence of computers, television, smartphones, high-speed internet, no matter where you go. I mean, that, that means that people can now go on apps like Spotify to listen to their favorite music and podcasts, you know, where the content can be curated by the users uh, themselves and listened to on demand, right, whenever they want. That's right. But with this in mind, World Radio Day actually holds a lot of importance, uh, if not more than what it did earlier. So I guess, you know, what is World Radio Day 2021 about? Well, UNESCO has set this year's theme as and I'm quoting here, New World, New Radio. Um, and as per the UNESCO website, it says, again, and I'm quoting, as the world changes, so does radio. Thus, during the COVID-19 pandemic, radio made it possible, for example, to ensure continuity of learning, to fight against misinformation, and to promote barrier gestures. That's right. And this year's theme, which uh, Julia just mentioned, New World, New Radio, is divided into three sub part. So the first part is evolution, the world changes and radio evolves. So this sub-theme refers to the resilience of the radio and also to its sustainability. And the second one is innovation, the world changes, radio adapts and innovates. So radio has had to adapt to new technologies to remain the go-to medium of mobility, accessible uh, everywhere and to everyone. And finally, it's connection, the world changes, radio connects. So this sub-theme highlights radio services 
interest of society, which, uh, you know, uh, t- which includes spreading information about nat- natural disasters, socioeconomic crises, epidemics, fighting misinformation, etc. Right. And when we look at the, you know, f- uh, the first two themes, evolution and innovation, I guess that's arguably, arguably uh, been the biggest challenge for radio, right? Not only do we have uh, podcasts and music on demand uh, for people to listen to, the there's also been the democratization of information. Uh, and that's meant that literally anybody can create a podcast of their, of their own and get it up on Spotify, you know, Apple Podcasts or other major uh, podcast networks. You know, and all of this within a few hours. That said, major radio networks uh, like NPR, though, in the, in the U.S., for instance, have adapted really well. They've launched podcasts of their own that have gone on to be massive successes in the digital space. Uh, BF, you know, we at BFM here have also taken a similar approach, too. Uh, you know, if you're commuting to work, you want to listen to BFM but aren't necessarily interested in every single topic we talk about, you can just download the BFM app or look us up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, which we <laughs> mentioned at the end of uh, every day. Uh, every day. Yeah, every hour sure. <laughs> and you can pick and choose which content of yours uh, you want to listen to and on top of that i guess this the shift towards digital has also meant that you don't need to be in the clang valley to listen to us live either right all you need is the bfm uh, app or the or you can head out on to our website that's right, that's right. um guys uh do you have any fond memories listening to the radio growing up Oh, definitely. Um, <laughs> gosh, the radio was on all the time. But I grew up in Johor, right? So, <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, I only used to listen to Singapore radio at the time. Oh. Uh, so, and I, I just, there's this one TV, oh, sorry, there's this one radio show that I used to listen to religiously every Saturday morning, which was called Happy Talk. And it was actually uh, this ventriloquist, Victor Koo, and he used to have a wooden puppet called Charlie. <laughs> um, and they'd have the show every morning for like seven years. And as a child, and this was like from the 70s and the 80s, so obviously I only started listening in the 80s. But but I listened to it faithfully and it was like my companion. Even when I went out, my mother would have to find some sort of radio to let me listen to it. And mm. gosh, it just brings, uh, yeah, it was just, that was like actually my first introduction, even as a young child to radio. And how long were these shows? Like, were they long form? Or? They were about maybe an hour or so. You know, okay. it's just like oh. cracking jokes and yeah. telling stories. And, you know, um, Victor would then, you know, have Charlie bantering. And obviously, Charlie <laughs> was the, you know, his like nemesis almost. It was it was so much of fun. And yeah. it was so nice to listen to with my family as well. Because they had no choice but to listen to it, of course. Because yeah. I was the youngest <laughs> and insistent. So it just brings back all these really fond memories mm. of family time, actually. So for, for me, I... I, I I didn't really listen to radio, but I'd have cassettes on. And, you know, my my uncles would love playing music at my grandmother's place. Um, But, you know, speaking to my my parents and and my grandparents, uh, they so they actually grew up in Singapore. Speaking of Singapore, right. and, and and for them the radio, um, you know, was a constant source of of news. Mm. Um, you know, especially you know things that were going on in KL, for instance. You know what was happening on the other side of the causeway. Yeah, um, I, I used to listen to the radio a lot as well. You know, as as a kid, it used to excite me. Actually, like listening to you know, like other, other English uh, channels in Malaysia and all. It used to be that, that certain kind of excitement because you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. And you're right. And and also, I, I don't know, it's it's just, I, I guess what one of my biggest memories involving radio or content on the radio is not necessarily something happy, but I remember because it just stuck with me for years and years. I was driving... Uh, in the car I wasn't driving at the time and my mom was driving me to school and suddenly like a song was playing and suddenly they just stopped the song like midway and then like you know they just say like breaking news Michael Jackson just passed away no. No. you know yeah and it I don't know why that just 
obviously it's because it's Michael Jackson, but it's also that that thing where you don't know what you're going to get. And I feel mm. like that that's like, it, it, these kind of things you can't get, like these kind of breaking news or anything where if you're just listening to it on podcast, right? Because yeah. mm. it's all pre-recorded. It's like just a specific show. You don't get anything breaking. But do how do you all like to consume your audio-based content these days? You know, we, we mentioned podcasts. Do you all listen to podcasts or radio? Well, yeah. Well, I, I definitely love my podcasts because um, I... I I'm, I'm very specific, right? I, I usually look for things that uh, have either to do with food or, or urban design. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I directly go to those, and and I, I usually do it via Spotify, you know, to to uh, make it uh, to make my money's worth. And <laughs> since, since I pay for Spotify Premium, yes. uh, I want I want to use it for as many things as possible. Yeah, for me, I prefer that live element. Like you know what you're talking about, Dash, mm. right? You're just innocently in your car listening, and suddenly, wow, breaking news! Yeah. You know, that's that whole live <laughs> element of radio, yes. right? You just don't know. And I think that's what I like best about radio as well. So wherever I can, I like, especially in the car, I suppose, right? Mm. That's the easiest. I just like to listen to whatever is on, just so because I don't know what I'm going to get. It might pique my interest. It might be something that uh, you know. When you listen to podcasts, you tend to go to things that you mm. like, right? So this might be something completely that has nothing to do with any of my interests. Mm. But hey, he has a new interest, right? <laughs> Yeah. something about i don't know entrepreneurship that is really you know interesting for me and which i would never have looked for in podcast so i still love yeah. that kind of live element of radio and, yeah and i guess that saves you time as well right because you don't have to figure out what you want because there's just yeah. so many things <laughs> yeah. right I, I i i don't know about you guys but every time i i go on spotify or or, or you know apple Podcasts, it's like every month there's just a new program or something just pops up and sometimes you just you just don't know where there's just too many to, to choose from it's like netflix right yeah. you're just like you spend half exactly. the time searching for what to watch <laughs> than actually watching it yeah. i guess in that sense i'm a little bit I, I love the radio for that exact same reason you all said right it introduces you to new things and it's one of the best things about radio is i guess you will never stop feeling excited of like not knowing what song comes up and then <laughs> yes. if it's a song you recognize or it's a song that you really love you know what's one of your favorite songs or something and you get excited because they are playing it yeah. when you can just as easily go on spotify and choose it yourself but that's not, <laughs> not as exciting same. yeah yeah it's not, not the same but in terms of consuming like you know content i think i especially in recent years i've been like strictly just listening to to it on podcasts mm. and all that because I like to like you know curate like okay if it's about movies politics this 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 and like I I want to know exactly when what show is going to come out and things like that and you know I, even when I before I joined BFM I used to be an avid BFM listener and even then I used to consume a lot of BFM stuff but it's all also like on the BFM app mm. on mm. Spotify and things like that so yeah um also we want to know what you guys think so um has there's a poll up on our twitter page that's right we're asking you what your fondest memories of listening to the radio are so you know make sure you uh do send us your thoughts we already have some and we'll get to them later alternatively you can also whatsapp us at 018-789-8899 all right we do need to go for a very quick break now after the big after the break we will be focusing on the third sub theme of world radio day which is connection and play clips from some of the shows we've done over the past year with regard to the COVID-19 pandemic. This is the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9.
Welcome back to the Daily Digest. On The Bigger Picture, I'm Darshan Johan alongside me, Julia Jacobs and Hezreel Ashraf. So it was World Radio Day this past Saturday and before the break, we talked about why World Radio Day is observed and even shared some of our fond memories of listening to the radio. Now we're going to be zooming in on the third sub-team of World Radio Day 2021, which is Connection. So per UNESCO, this sub-team focuses on radio services to our society, such as uh, you know uh, disseminating information, about natural disasters, socioeconomic crises, epidemics, etc., as well as fighting misinformation. That's right. So uh, in light of that, we thought it'd be nice to just listen to and reflect on some of the shows that we actually did throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. And that kind of ranges from the rise of online sexual harassment during lockdown uh, to right down to how the pandemic affected students. So first up is a show we did back in May 2020. So um, according to a statement that was released at the time by AWAM, which is the All Women's Action Society, uh, there had been an increase in cases of online sexual harassment during the movement control order. So Here's a clip from the show that uh, I did together with T. Xiao Eek, um, on, uh, and we spoke to the Program and Operations Manager of AWAM, Nisha Sabanayagam. Nisha, thanks for joining us. So according to AWAM's press statement earlier this week, more than 40% of sexual harassment complaints during the MCO received by AWAM are incidences of online sexual harassment. So why would you say this is the case? So before I directly so earlier today we got in touch with um, Matthew. I think we also need to acknowledge the fact that universally, when there are crises such as uh, pandemics like this, the situation um, tends to exacerbate the vulnerability of women and girls, and as a result, incidences of gender-based violence or GBV also rises. So, in line with your question specifically to the case of online sexual harassment increasing during the NCO. Um, it's a natural trend. The second thing is it's also quite straightforward. More people are at home. More people are spending time in front of the computers. Therefore, perpetrators have more time on their hands. They're getting less stimulation from the outside world. And thus, there is a tendency to sexually harass people online, even more so than usual. Another thing is also uh, with the MCO, you know, people call it the new normal, right? Mm -hmm. And this has created new spaces and new scenarios. And these new spaces and new scenarios actually set up a conducive platform for online sexual harassment. Uh, for example, young, young women who are returning home from universities abroad now have to stay in, in a quarantine center on their own um, without their support system, uh, without their families close at hand. And this actually makes them, uh, puts them in a more vulnerable situation. And in quarantine centers, um, young women uh, all inhabitants of the quarantine centers are supposed to register and give their phone numbers and personal details during registration. And this information then becomes available to the staff of the quarantine centers. And all you need is just one bad apple to take advantage of the phone numbers available to him or her, and they start sending unsavory WhatsApp messages or unsavory pictures over WhatsApp. Um, and then there's another new situation that's popping up online, which is um, online forums and online webinars. So the forums are generally held for awareness raising, and we also see quite a number of senior public figures and newsmakers on them. These open forums often come hand in hand with an open comment section, mm -hmm. rightly so, because you want the public to engage better with the discussion. But the flip side of all this openness is that now a female persona online at some point in time becomes a perfect target for an online perpetrator because there is a ready audience and there is a ready platform and a ready channel available for them to sexually harass their victims online. 
we have heard uh, of harassment, online sexual harassment have happening on Twitter, um, uh, usually in the form of uh, some kind of Twitter messaging that is very um, nasty towards women or down degrading women. Mm-hmm. We've also had online sexual harassment, uh, not specifically addressed to one woman, but to women in general on TikTok, where a, a, a boy recorded a message saying that, you know, women who do not cover themselves up, up properly deserve to be raped. We've also received uh, one or two F, uh, complaints on, on online sexual harassment on Facebook. And the most recent one, which made the news, was um, the state assembly persons, YB uh, Jamalia and YB uh, Lim Yiwei, mm-hmm. receiving rape threats mm-hmm. uh, on FB when they had an online forum. So what are the specific impacts of online sexual harassment, particularly during this MCO period? Yeah, so that's a, um, quite an interesting question because the MCO as a whole tends to bring a general sense of malaise for most of us because we're stuck indoors and most of us are not at our best mentally. On top of that, there's another factor. We are also taught as women to feel shame when sexual violence is inflicted upon us. So being sexually harassed online in non-MCO situations during pre-MCO days in itself already brings a huge amount of shame because it happens on a public platform. Mm. It also causes anxiety, it causes stress, it causes depression. So imagine being sexually harassed online during the MCO. This is like double jeopardy, right? The anxiety, the stress, the depression times two. Because you're alone, you're not able to go out, you can't reach out to your friends or your family for face-to-face support as you normally would do during pre-MCO days. So I would say that the impacts, they're quite specific in the sense that they cause a lot of shame, they cause a lot of anxiety, they cause stress, they cause depression, but they are amplified during the MCO period. So that was a clip from an interview that we did with the Program and Operations Manager of AWAM, Nisha Sabanayagam. Uh, and this was back in May 2020. And what we were talking about was the rise of uh, online sexual harassment during the movement control order. Now, uh, another ma- major issue that we touched on last year was the government's decision to uh, prevent boats carrying hundreds of Rohingya refugees from entering the country. And, and this uh, was due to increased uh, fears of COVID-19 transmissions. So Sharmila uh, Sue Ann and uh, Juliet uh, spoke to Matthew Smith, the CEO of Fortify Rights, uh, on this matter. So earlier today, we got in touch with Matthew Smith. He's the, he's the CEO of Fortify Rights. And first, I asked him um, what, he, what, what he thought of the use of COVID-19 as a justification to turn away refugee boats. Well, I think the, I think the key point is that Malaysia can have a sensible, practical, important COVID-19 policy while also protecting and ensuring the rights of, in this case, Rohingya asylum seekers. Um, It's important that the government take every step possible to prevent COVID transmission. So, you know, it would be sensible, for example, to uh, perhaps quarantine uh, a boatload of Rohingya refugees upon arrival for a period of two weeks to ensure Uh, or to prevent any sort of COVID transmission and to properly assess the situation. But sending refugees back to imminent or possible death at sea is not only completely inhumane and callous, uh, it's also an unlawful policy. And at this point, the people who 
were making the decisions, the policy decisions, to turn those votes away, uh, we believe should be held accountable for that. So one thing that's been on many of our minds during the MCO period is resources, you know, whether it's at the individual, uh, community or even government level. Some people have raised concerns that if refugee boats are brought into the country, if refugees are brought into the country, you know, will the government have the resources to quarantine and provide the necessary care for them? So Matthew also said that this is an issue, but it can be resolved through collaboration with the UNHCR. Well, UNHCR, the UN uh, Human Rights uh, agency is operational in Malaysia and does have a working relationship with the government um, and could be called upon to support Malaysia uh, in a circumstance like this. Uh, Malaysia is already home to uh, hundreds of thousands of refugees and asylum seekers. I think approximately 170, 180,000 are officially registered with UNHCR, but the number is higher than that. Uh, and in this case, we're talking about um, specifically a handful of boats holding several hundred uh, Rohingya refugees. Um, and and this is another situation in which the arguments against allowing the refugees to disembark from their boats um, simply don't hold water. Um, and we're talking about a policy that uh, we already know resulted in possibly up to 60 deaths. And uh, it, it, unfortunately, that loss of life is on the hands of the people who made the policy decisions to turn those boats away. But Malaysia does not have a formal framework to recognize refugees in the country and instead relies on the UNHCR to register refugees. So Malaysia is not Malaysia is also not a signatory to the UN Refugee Convention. So we asked him what Malaysia's obligations are when it comes to accepting refugees. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Malaysia should uh, should most definitely ratify the Refugee Convention. Uh, but regardless of that, no government in the world um, is authorized to send an asylum seeker or refugee back uh, to a situation in which they face imminent harm or danger. Uh, so this is inconsistent with um, Inter broad international law principles and other international uh, laws and treaties that Malaysia is obligated to uphold. So it's not merely the Refugee Convention. However, uh, it would be important for Malaysia to, to ratify the Refugee Convention. It would strengthen the government's overall approach to dealing with difficult uh, issues that come up with regard to protecting the rights of refugees. Um, the government would find that its relations, working relationship with the UN Refugee Agency would be improved on a number of levels if they'd ratify the convention. Uh, but again, uh, no government on earth is is um, is uh, able to justify sending refugees to imminent or possible death, simply inhumane and unlawful. Next, Matthew shared the main concerns and implication for refugees on these boats when they are turned back. Well, certainly there are there are going to be another a number of, of um, issues that these the people who are coming off of these journeys will have. And, and going back to uh, 2012 to 2015, we did a, a report with uh, Suhakam, the Human Rights Commission of Malaysia, documenting the terrible violations that Rohingya has faced at sea, in some cases spending inordinate amounts of time at sea in cramped conditions with little food, little water, um, terrible sanitation, so sicknesses come up, um, 
people have been brutalized and tortured by human trafficking syndicates. We haven't confirmed the extent to which those syndicates might be involved in the current boats uh, that are en route or stranded at sea right now. Um, but there's a strong possibility that uh, that the refugees are being mistreated at sea as well. So these are all issues that the authorities, uh, we would have hoped, would have learned from back in 2015. Uh, and your, your listeners may recall that in 2015, Malaysia also, uh, is, along with Thailand and Indonesia, were pushing boats of Rohingya back out to sea. And then eventually Malaysia led the way and did the right thing, changed its policy and allowed refugees to disembark. Uh, that was an important moment for Malaysia, uh, Malaysia's response to that refugee crisis. And I think that's something that Malaysia could do right now. And so you just there, uh, heard a clip there from an interview we did with Matthew Smith, the CEO of 45 Rights, and he shared his insights on the consequences of not allowing Rohingya refugees to enter uh, our country during the COVID-19 pandemic. That's right. And education was another area that was also hit really badly because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the subsequent lockdowns. So in a live and learn I did with former Education Minister YB Mazli Malay recently, he shared his insights on how badly the pandemic has affected the lives of students and if the government could have handled the situation better. I mean, <laughs> to be honest with you, Dash, I have least interest to talk about the past simply because the kids uh, has not gone to schools for nearly a year. But I think the, the more pertinent question, uh, the, most, uh, the more important question should be contemplated and should be discussed seriously by the community, by the society, is the way forward. You know, whether we are uh, going to start with this, what they call as the new normal, uh, or we're coming back to the old normal. I mean, after the after everybody been vaccinated, I'm, I'm talking about the post-pandemic education, right. or are we going to a new, new normal? <laughs> if there is a new, new normal, how is it going to be? And this is where I found that most of our, I would say, rakyat, most of people, most of the parents, most of the teachers, I feel very clueless. They were left without any clue about what is the way forward and what is the master plan for the post-pandemic period. And even I could see on the social media, people are talking about what's going to happen on mm -hmm. the 20th of January. Uh, school is going to be open. That's right. And kids coming back, teachers coming back. But parents mm -hmm. are wondering, what are the precautions measurement that we're going to take? School will be open or they're going to announce it's not going to be open. <laughs> you know, all these things should, should be, all these concerns should be addressed. But anyway, coming back to your question, mm -hmm. uh, I think in, in the parliament, I keep voicing out the needs to have the Majlis Pendidikan, uh, Majlis Tindakan Pendidikan Kebangsaan akin to our Majlis Tindakan Economy Kebangsaan which is to discuss seriously about the way forward for education. Mm -hmm. And we should get as much as possible stakeholders and the representatives of the stakeholders uh, to voice the concern, to discuss the matter seriously and holistically, and to provide a clear master plan of the way forward, how we would like the education to be, hence the future of the nation. It was a long answer. <laughs> no, I think you 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 brought up very uh, a lot of good points there. And one of it is the the confusion that uh, parents are feeling, that teachers are feeling. Because my uh, mom is a teacher right now, and my sister is still studying. Uh, she's doing her A levels. And there's you know even in my family, there's a lot of confusion. There's and with this confusion comes a lot of frustration, right?
I think uh, definitely there's no silver bullet for to to to, to solve any problem. But yeah. again, should the government engage more with the stakeholders and keep communicating with the public on addressing these concerns and replying to all these worries and uh, confusion, confusion, I think things would be different. Mm-hmm. So this is where I keep voicing out to the government that, uh, and even to the minister that he needs to communicate with, with with the people. He needs to engage with the people, especially with those uh, who have a lot of interest with uh, education and on those who represent the teachers and also the parents. And in a Facebook post recently, you called the current batch of students a lost generation. Can you explain what exactly you meant by that? Uh, what I meant was, you know, what happened to the students that have not gone to school for nearly a year. Mm. So definitely they lost one year education. But what I meant with the lost generation, actually it's not my own coin. I mean, <laughs> I everybody talk about it, WHO talk about it, right. UNESCO talk about it. And, you know, a lot of uh, international agencies uh, voicing out their worries and a concern about the lost generation. We are focusing on those at the early uh, foundational years, uh, those at preschools in the year 2020, those at Standard 1 in 2020, and they're going to Standard 1 and Standard 2 in 2021. Right. The problem is most of them, most of them, at that foundation uh, years, foundation states, they need to learn the very basic things of education, reading, uh, you know, counting, writing, whatnot, but they've not gone to school. And online learning is totally different right. from the, you know, uh, the traditional, conventional face-to-face learning. That's, That's number right. one. And number two, the teachers touch on, you know, and talk about education, it's not only about uh, uh, learning how to read, learning how to write, but the most important thing is imparting the values to the children at a very, very, uh, very early stage. And number three, just imagine not everybody has proper internet access at home. That's right. Or what more? We're talking about device. Mm-hmm. You know, so you would have at least half of the population, half of those generation, half of those children who, when they're coming to back to school this year, they might not be able to read. They may not be able to, to write. They may not be able to count. They may not be able to, to interact. And, and the worst part is, I, I, according to the survey that, banned, that, that done by the was it UNDP mm-hmm. and, and UNESCO, they, they found that most of the kids lost their interest to go to school, go back to school. So that was a clip from a Live and Learn interview we did with former Education Minister YB Masli Male on how the pandemic affected education in the country. Yes, but apart from these issues, one of the biggest problems throughout the COVID-19 period uh, is the spread of misinformation about the virus and the vaccines. So since World Radio Day is also observed to discuss how we use the medium to combat the spread of misinformation, we thought it'd be nice to play a clip from a recent Health and Living show uh, where Mira interviewed Dr. Ku Yung Kian, who is the managing editor of the Malaysian Medical Gazette and Dr. Hyrul Hafiz, who is the founder and chairman of MedTweet My. So here's what they had to say when they were asked, how can we talk to people in our families, particularly older people, when they forward messages, and this is a huge problem, about COVID-19 and the vaccines that lack credibility. I guess um, we could look at the articles they sent through. And I said, um, um, not all, all articles or not all literature are the same um, capability. We have to look at the references and the sources as well. 
Um, so even though some articles are very well written, they might have references as well. But if, uh, if we can, we should check those references um, to see how, how credible are they no are. There are references, Jungkook. <laughs> you know this, WhatsApp. I know, yeah. my mother's on them. Um, there are no references. So how do we convince them? And you can't forward articles, um, right? No one's going to read these articles. They're too scientific. They're complicated. You know, you need to put them in concise, um, um, you know, points so they understand um, where this is coming from. Yeah, so I think um, engaging them is probably um, what you have to do, actually. Um, if you have uh, your own background of evidence to show, you can actually um, you know, frame it in a way that they understand, Um in simple words or in simple terms that they understand so that um, they can actually um, know better. But like I said, it all goes boils down to what they think um, is the real issue about vaccination. Uh, you know, if they are going to listen to um, conspiracy theory, theories and etc., sometimes it might be just better to step back, I think. Um, you know, some, some people, we can't change their mind, yeah. but we have to try to limit their influence. Um, you know, so instead of um, focusing on those hardcore anti um, vaccinate vectors, you know, we should focus on those who are probably on the fence, the 50-50 ones. We have a bigger chance of com- convincing them to take the vaccine. We're supposed to focus all of our effort on to those people who have probably 100% no chance of taking it. Sure. Hafiz, just quickly, we yeah. have somebody on the line who's waiting with a question. I I, I do agree with that, Jung. Actually, uh, the, 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 the main aim for us to actually respond in the WhatsApp group, because WhatsApp group is uh, some... some uh, place that we cannot reach how uh, it's not uh, it's, it's so hard for us to to reach uh, the whatsapp if twitter if we give some statement people will, will retweet it so it can reach people but whatsapp is not uh, not there so uh, for me the aim of uh, for us to respond in the whatsapp group not to actually counter the uh, to the people who actually giving the information but to uh, to take care of those people who read it uh, who read this so this is a very important because we don't want uh, the other people uh, influenced by those information. So what can I uh, what can I uh, can I suggest? One is we just uh, just give uh, uh, as much as possible the the right facts of the uh, COVID nineteen uh, in the group. Uh, whatever uh, you think that this is the 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 the, the genuine uh, uh, facts, so you just post it there so that people can actually have some. Uh, some uh, or can uh, cannot oh this is the right thing to to actually to to be read and the second one is uh, this is uh, what we we as a social media doctors need to do we need to have maybe to to create uh, some sort of myth busting uh, article or maybe some videos and then we we share them in the WhatsApp group so that it can be circulated so this can uh, as uh, as much as possible can. Uh, reduce uh, the influence of uh, misinformation in the WhatsApp group. So that was a clip from a recent Health and Living show we did with Dr. Ku Yong Kian, who is the managing editor of the Malaysian Medical Gazette, and Dr. Hyrule Hafiz, who is the founder and chairman of MedTweet My. And they were talking about ways to combat misinformation about COVID-19 and the vaccines. That's right. Now, uh, on Twitter, we have been asking you what uh, your fondest memories of listening to the radio are as we celebrate um, World Radio Day. Uh, and we've got quite a few uh, replies uh, for one, we've got one from uh, That's My Full Name who tweeted, uh, 
that they miss 1990s sponsored shows on the Blue Network or RTM <laughs> English station like the BD's Club Show hosted by Yasmin Yusuf and Coca-Cola hosted by Patrick uh, Teo. Uh, they also miss 1980s Malay shows like Pertandingan Berbalas Pantone and radio dramas like Nombo Lima, Persiaran Satu. Uh, we've also got Alvin uh, who says, um, uh, Patrick Teo made my day uh, every Sunday with Key Huat's Fact and Fancies, and he would end it with the <laughs> Zanussi advert, uh, the good old days. Um, there's also uh, Shaman Razak who says, who tweeted, uh, fighting, you know, I used to fight over the radio with my older brother. He would want to listen to Malay stations, while I would want to listen to English ones, because I didn't understand English back then. I liked the songs, so I would only be able to churi churi uh, listen <laughs> to the radio at around okay. uh, 11 p.m. after he went uh, to to bed. Uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, we've also got, uh, oh, this is uh, funny. Muna Arafat says uh, they'd sunbathe batteries after uh, they had gotten weak <laughs> back then. Our hostel didn't have switch plugs at the dormitories. Uh, also, we would write the lyrics when it, when the songs go on air and compare notes. Those were the nights of FM stereo. Uh, also, Kutsia and Gary's Caller at 12, which I believe was a, was a night show. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, Oh, maybe you can relate to this one, Juliet. Uh, that's my full name. Also hey. says, <laughs> I, 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 you know, it says uh, recording songs off the radio using a blank cassette. I find that statement very interesting. Uh, no, but you're right. That it's <laughs> true. <laughs> I cannot deny. It. I used to do that. My God, I would listen, sit at the radio, mm. listen with my hand on the record button with an empty cassette inside, and I would wait for my favorite songs to come on, mm. and I would press record. Then, then, sometimes you know the tape would end, and then I'd have to change to side B, Sorry. and then continue the song. <laughs> and uh, yes, I I am ashamed to admit there was something called the Juliet Collection, which had about wow, ten volumes, wow. which I'm still keeping today. Those cassettes. One day my children will listen to them as well. But gosh, it was the thing we had to do, and and writing the lyrics. There was no internet. We couldn't look mm. for the words there. My God, we just make it all up and write it yeah, down. And yes, yeah. compare notes exactly like I, our listener said. Have you had to listen to them since since like you know recently to yes. ch to check that they're okay? Oh my God, they were completely wrong. <laughs> God knows what I was hearing. And I was like, wow, thank God for subtitles and for lyrics.com or whatever you call it now. Now, Chong, Chong Lee says he, he actually, uh, you know, recorded songs off the radio using blank cassettes too. Uh, but he also adds that uh, I also recorded my voice hosting programs and played them to family members during big occasions. Wow, he was a podcaster Oops. before it became cool. <laughs> another, another admission, I used yes. to do that too. Yeah, oh, and it uh, looks like Al Alvin, he tweeted that, uh, you know, he misses Radio Gaga. Uh, which is a queen, uh, a a queen, queen classic, classic. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that that looks like that's pretty much it for for our tweets. Uh, but you can keep sending your thoughts through by tweeting us at BFM Radio. You can also send us a WhatsApp at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Yeah. So that about uh, that wraps up our segment for World Radio Day twenty twenty one. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us, the Bigger Picture crew, you can find us on Facebook. We are BFM the Bigger Picture. You can drop us a message there. If you missed any part of the show, you can download the podcast. We you can find us on bfm.my slash the daily digest. We're also on the BFM app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. And coming up at 3 p.m., Julia Jacobs is sticking around to speak to Lao Ya Hua, who is a co-founder and co-editor and writer of Makaranga.org, and Adrian Yo, who's a policy 
policy advisor of the Selangor Slang- State Government. So this will be the first of a three-parter, I believe, Julia. Now, what, tell us about this. Yes. Um, hmm. So um, Ashley Forest Files is a series that Makaranga published in very in-depth articles um, on forest use here in Peninsula Malaysia. You know, we constantly talk about degazetting forests, you know, forests uh, making way hmm. for development and all of that. So hmm. um, this series looks at all of these issues and, you know, tries to get down to the to the bottom line of who actually has a say when it comes to forest use in Malaysia. So uh, today is going to be the first episode and we're going to look at many, many different things, um, you know, not just um, who the, you know, who says, who gets to say what on the uh, on the forest, but also whether certification will help, uh, you know, what solutions are there to, to solve these issues. So it's going to be an interesting three-part series. Yes. Yeah. It, it sounds very intriguing. Mm-hmm. So that is coming up after the 3pm news. Once again, I'm Dashan Johan alongside Julia Jacobs and Hezreel Ashraf and you've been listening to the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.